Today is Tuesday, May 9th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Border towns and Americans are bracing for Title 42 to expire. Is another border crisis in store? We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe, leave a rating, share with a friend. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Let's get through the news of the cray together. We're doing it each and every weekday morning at 7 a.m. Joining me now, Trey Gons Phillips. Billy's on assignment. What's up, Trey? Happy Tuesday. It's a good Tuesday. It's it good is. to be alive. It is. What do you have? Uh, what do you have coming up on the focus? So we're going to be. <laughs> this is kind of a crazy story. Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about a church in New York City that's facing backlash for an art exhibit titled "God Is Trans: A Queer Spiritual Journey." Uh, if you're looking for an explanation for what that means, I'm sorry you won't find one because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But we'll talk about the details I nonetheless. Was gonna say I have questions. <laughs> I have questions on that. We'll get into that in in a few minutes here on the focus story. Also on the main thing, Billy caught up with the president of the Rutherford Institute, John Whitehead, talking about how his client was slapped with a five-year restraining order for posting his moral and religious concerns online. Talk about that case and more on the main thing. But first, we are going to go through the news here in 90 seconds. The United States is bracing for the expiration of Title 42. Officials are concerned. We're going to see another surge of migrants at the border. Already a huge problem there at the border currently, and they're expecting it to potentially be even greater in the wake of Title 42 expiring. John Martin, who's the deputy director of Opportunity, the Opportunity Center for the Homeless in El Paso said, no matter how much we are prepared, I don't think we're going to be prepared enough. And rising interest rates are potentially about to wreak more havoc on the economy as private equity faces a possible wave of company bankruptcies. This is happening due to the rising interest rates and slow economic growth. You can read the full details on that by following the link to this story in the description on this podcast. And a team of doctors in Boston performed a groundbreaking surgery on a baby still in the womb, the first of its kind in the U.S. And the parents say they had no doubt that, quote, God would perform a miracle. Derek and Kenyatta Coleman were over the moon when they learned they were expecting their fourth child. And the first few weeks of the pregnancy were typical. The baby was doing well, but then things changed. You can read that full story and more over at CBN News. And Trey, the border crisis, I mean, we're going to see, we're going to catch up with Chuck Holton this week on the podcast and on our YouTube channel as well as he's heading down to the border. Chuck does a lot of on the ground reporting on the border, Ukraine. He's been all over the place. He's globe hopping all the time, but we'll catch up with him on the podcast this week to get a first look at how things are looking on the border. I've already seen, I don't know if you've seen it, Trey, I've already seen some of the drone footage coming out of some of these border towns and there are humongous lines gathering up that looks like we could be in for another massive surge. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, this is the time of year that the surge usually happens, right? The weather is warming up. It's easier to be outside. There are families who are wanting to cross over, or you know, not even families, just individuals wanting to cross over into the border. I think it's unfortunate, though, that this, because this issue is so politicized, that Mm. I think people almost put, like, they 
put their earphones in when they hear the story and they just kind of move on and ignore it because they assume that it's just a political issue, but it's not right. It's a real flesh and blood issue for people who are particularly living on border towns who are dealing with this stuff day in and day out. Whereas the rest of us really only hear about it during election season, but Mm -hmm. it's an issue that's going on day in and day out and it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's not getting better or going away just because we don't hear about it. Yeah. And I think in a way it's, it's an issue that's sort of like, um, not exactly, but it, uh, the, the the gun issue essentially is that it's treated often like there is this magic solution. Well, if they just would secure the border, all this would be not a problem. And no. yes, there are things you can do. There are steps you can take as you can with gun violence. But there are always going to be people trying to push into the border. and it's And it's just not that simple of a solution. And so what ends up happening is... You know, one side presents the obvious solution or blames somebody for everything going wrong. And then the other side, you know, is in full defense mode. And I think, you know, it would just be good to see the country for once come together on an issue, which is no one's denying that this is an issue, that the border is overwhelmed and that we just can't have porous borders. Right. That no, I don't think anybody denies that. But yet it still seems like we have trouble doing anything meaningful on the border. Yeah. Well, it's, I think because the conversation has been framed and from two very different moral standpoints, right? One is to protect the country and to protect our autonomy as a nation. And of course, to still allow legal immigration, which is a great thing. It's a, it's how all of us got here essentially generations and generations ago. This is a country of immigrants. Um, so I think that's fine. But then on the left, it's recharacterized, right? As people who want a border that has an actual, you know, perimeter, uh, they're anti-immigrant and they don't want anybody coming into the country. Right. Uh, and they're a, a moral blight on our society because they hate people. And that's just, <laughs> right. that's not this, that's not the truth at all. Right. So I think it's difficult though, when that's the framing that you hear from the media and from Hollywood and uh, from so many people that if you want a closed border or you just want a, a smoother process to, immigration, then you're somehow anti-immigrant and nobody wants to be anti-immigrant. I mean, that sounds awful. Uh, So I I think we're at a a place, which this is the case with just about any issue, where the conversation is so inflammatory that it's easier just to not have a conversation at all. Yeah, it really is. And one thing we can certainly be doing as Christians is praying for, because it's very easy, like you said, Trey, with the, the hyper politicization of it, very easy to kind of lose the humanity of the people involved, right? And sometimes the most humane thing is to be honest about, hey, you can't come in here. Don't come up. Just, just no. Like you're, it's a dangerous journey. You might die. You might get robbed. You might get assaulted on this journey. These coyotes are. They don't care about you. It's very dangerous. That might be the more loving thing and closing things down. Um, but there are going to be people who get through, so we got to care for them too. And so, for as Christians, we can be um, partnering with organizations that help and do good work on the ground and share the gospel. And you know, places like Operation Blessing from CBN is, does that often. And so that's what we need to be doing as Christians, and in the midst of it, and you know, of course, fighting for the policies that we think will do the best job of you know helping that situation out. But first and foremost, we can pray. I think that's that's an easy first line of defense as Christians, but remembering the humanity of people there on the border in the midst of this is something we can't we can't forget. So 
All right, we're going to head over to the focus story now. And as Trey mentioned at the top, there is a church in New York City. And they've got an exhibit here, an art exhibit, that's really got people scratching their heads. Tell us about what's going on here. Yeah, so uh, it's in New York City. Uh, Like you said, the church is the Church of St. Paul the Apostle. It's a Catholic uh, church. Uh, and they belong to the Diocese of New York City. And the display is titled God is Trans, A Queer Spiritual Journey. Obviously getting a lot of attention uh, on social media. This church is known for being kind of a leftist church, but this display is actually kind of too far for a lot of congregants. And I'm going to read this paragraph-long explanation from the artist who designed it uh, that's sort of explaining the art installation. Uh, but I will say at the outset that I don't really think it makes a whole lot of sense, uh, particularly <laughs> if, you're, if you're a believer and you understand theology and Christianity. Uh, this might not make any sense to you, uh, which you know, you won't be alone, but this is what the artist wrote. Uh, sacrifice and its complementary act in the film uh, speak to the need, talking about the art installation, uh, speak to the need to shed an old life and personhood in order to be able to focus on your spiritual need. There is no devil, just past selves. Identity is the most impactful part of the exhibition. What does holiness look like? What does your God look like? Are these two portrayals that can be merged? And then finally, communion rounds out the spiritual journey by placing God and the mortal on the same plane to speak to one another. So yeah, there's a whole lot of gobbledygook that I think doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, But this is what the artist said. Uh, This is how God is, is trans uh, in, in their, in their mind. And they, this focus of, of the installation is sacrifice, identity, and, and in communion. Uh, And in those three ways, uh, essentially the artist is saying that God or their definition of God, which I would say is not the God of, of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It's similar to LGBT people because he went on, quote, a queer spiritual journey through his earthly ministry and then as the Holy Spirit uh, in, in his ascension. I mean, I, I have a lot of thoughts swirling through my head right now, Trey, after hearing that. Right. The first one is whoever put that together has been reading stuff they have not been reading the Bible. That is one thing that, like all those well, buzzwords, they all those buzzwords they put in there. What, what, where does that come from? In I mean, talk about hijacking things and jamming things into the text. Yeah, I don't know if they've been necessarily reading anything at all scriptural <laughs> because the sentences themselves to me don't necessarily even make a whole lot of sense. Right. Um, so I, it was odd to me when I was digging into some of this installation, saying, "Okay, is there an explanation?" anywhere of of how this artist arrived at this conclusion uh, and that's the best that uh, i could find is this one paragraph long you know run on sentences paragraph uh, explaining the artist's design and it right. still doesn't really make no doesn't really make any sense at all it doesn't so what's i mean i i can imagine what some of the reactions been but what have you seen so one church member, again, this is a pretty leftist church, so you can assume that probably most of the congregants are Democrats. They might not obviously be far left, but they're more left-leaning. Uh, one church member said that the church should not be promoting this. Uh, the individual said, I understand that there are transgender people. I pray for all people, but enough is enough. It seems like they're trying to force this agenda on others. Also, when a friend asked a priest about this, they didn't answer. You can't put this out on the altar and then hide, and then that congregant added that's what the church gets Mm. in trouble for yeah indeed and what i mean do we have 
uh, handy the Catholic Church's position on transgenderism, what they say? Yeah, I do want to add, too, there was another, as an 80-year-old parishioner um, who... <laughs> she's very liberal. And she said, I don't understand this art. (laughs) She said, but this church is very liberal, which is why I love the church. Uh, But again, she said, I just don't understand what this uh, art exhibit is supposed to mean. So uh, the New York Post actually did a whole write-up on this as well. uh, And they reached out to the spokesman for the Archdiocese of New York, but he declined to offer a statement and claimed that he had no idea that the exhibit was present uh, at the church. As far as the Catholic Church's teaching, though, uh, in 2019, the Vatican released a document uh, titled Male and Female, He Created Them, and it stated that, quote, the right to choose one's gender is in direct contradiction of the model of marriage as being between one man and one woman, and it also explained that a person's sex and gender can't be changed, uh, and any assertion to the contrary is, quote, not based on the truths of existence. And then they, of course, went on to reference several Bible verses, including Genesis 1.27, a passage that we've referenced a lot, and obviously the source text for the title of the document, uh, which is that God created male and female uh, with obviously distinct purposes and values. And obviously in the New Testament, Paul uh, writes about that extensively. So the church is is pretty clear on its position. Yeah. I mean, this seems like a classic case, Trey, of eisegesis, which is essentially when you take a text or verse in the Bible and then you read into it your own ideas and you just jam them in there. Now, Again, like you were like we were saying earlier, it doesn't seem like they even went so far as to take their own ideas and put them into a scripture. They just kind of threw a couple of buzz faith words in there like God and Jesus and then just jammed a bunch of secular worldviews into it. That's that's what it feels like to me. I, I just don't know. I mean, again, basic truths are under attack now and you know, you hate having to cover these stories, but on the other hand, this is happening more and more. Like we're not like under, overturning stones in some remote corner of the world and finding, you know, the one kind of crazy idea out there and then shining all the lights on it. Like this is happening all over the place. And so you, it just really just requires a response, I believe, because if we don't say anything or we don't at least say, hey, wait a minute get an actual explanation other than a gobbledygook paragraph, um, people are going to just start accepting the stuff as they already have. We've seen that. And, you know, these are direct assaults on God's design. And so, you know, I think it's incumbent upon us to speak out on it. Yeah, no, I think that one parishioner hit the nail on the head when they said you're going to you know, put this kind of stuff in your church and then not offer a defense of it. Yeah. If it's something that you really want to be in the in, in your church, then you need to have a, a backing for it. Explain yourself. And if you fall somewhere theologically unsound, then, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And the people who disagree with that, of course, can leave. Uh, but this is what the church has gotten in trouble for. And I think it's almost in a way more concerning when the church starts to embrace some of this kind of stuff than when it's just happening out in the secular world, right? Because the church should be a safe haven for an understanding of biblical sexuality, a biblical definition of of male and female as God created us to be. So when this stuff is getting into the church, particularly new Christians, people who are interested in exploring Christianity, or just naive believers, right, that don't know Scripture and don't know God's Word, they're coming into a church like this and they're thinking, 
oh, I'm seeing this, so it must be okay. Uh, and Satan can do a whole lot of, uh, of damage uh, when you open that door to him and don't think he's not going to step in and take that yeah. opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And so I appreciate you bringing that story, Trav. I mean, it's, it's, you know, again, we have to have these conversations. We've got to um, look at what culture's doing and how things are going and particularly how it's impacting the church, in this case, a Catholic church, putting this forward so appreciate you shining the light on that one and we're going to head over to the main thing now and john whitehead is the president of the rutherford institute they're representing a client rich pinkoski was slapped with a five-year restraining order after posting his moral and religious views on the lgbt movement and why this case could have sweeping religious liberty ramifications that's today's main thing You are representing an Oklahoma street preacher. His name is Rich Pinkoski. And this is a really interesting case. He is claiming he was given a five-year restraining order. Uh, before we get into what he was allegedly guilty of that led to this restraining order, restraining order, what are the penalties for the order? Oh, it's a five-year restraining order uh, for signing basically two Bible verses. That's it. And... Um, he can get uh, one, at least, you know, he can be put in jail, fined, uh, taken away if uh, the he 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 says anything in terms of Bible verses or anything dealing with these uh, LBGT people that felt threatened by uh, one of the Bible verses is uh, I don't let me check here Matthew eighteen six Jesus speaking saying that you know you it's uh, you know you can go to hell basically if you drag kids into a environment where they are you know, let him descend and stuff. And he never approached anybody physically or contacted them directly. He just posted on social media. And the key here is that's where people are speaking today. That's where all churches are speaking on social media. So if they can tell you that because you, someone felt, they felt threatened, the LBGT people, the gay people that, oh, these Bible verses, if that's it, then, uh, I mean, if you go out on the corner and just talk to people generally about the Bible, you can get arrested now if that's true. This is why this is a very important case. When he contacted me and I looked at the facts, I said, whoa, uh, in America, by quoting Jesus Christ, you can get a five-year restraining order and put in jail if you speak about Jesus Christ. He so let me ask you. So he, you know, no, Rich goes around and he and he protests, right? He he goes out and speaks about churches, you know, the Drag Queen Story Hour events, churches that are sort of doing those things, events where those are being hosted. This particular case that we're talking about here, there was a same-sex wedding. There was a photo of these two women that was allegedly shared on social media. These verses were shared. Shared on social media, yeah. Yeah, and and so. How common is that? I mean, you've you've dealt with a lot of these cases where somebody has posted not necessarily not a direct threat. They've posted Bible verses, right? And they've had this kind of a reaction from a judge. How how common is that? This is very rare. I have not seen it. This is the first time I've actually seen somebody quoting Jesus Christ and that being considered a crime. Exactly. And that's what it is. And uh, I've been warning people about this for years as I've seen just general free speech being attacked across the country on social media. You can't say this word. You can't say that word. They take you off of social media. Now the Biden administration actually has issued an order where they're talking. If you, if you put, give disinformation on the social media, you can be considered a terrorist. Now the question is, are we going to give in to this or are we going to fight it? At the Rutherford Institute, I fight for free speech across the board, no matter who you are. 
And that's the point. Uh, I may not uh, agree with your beliefs or whatever, but I agree with the fact that you have a right to say those beliefs. And this guy did not threaten anybody. He did not walk up to him. He did not meet him. He did not point a finger. He just posted something on social media. And quoting Jesus Christ on social media, if that's a crime, then folks, what's going to happen to ministers across the country if you say the wrong thing? If you say, well, I don't like this group, and here's what Jesus might have said about that. You can actually get a restraining order issued against you if this holds. We're appealing this case, and we're going to try to set this straight that he, this man has the right to free speech and the freedom of religion. If not, toss it out, folks. They're going to cancel Christianity if they want to. You know, the the judge in this case, and then I want to kind of go through the, the events, but the judge in this case, it seemed that the judge was saying, okay, well, you have the right to free speech, but you don't have the right to single out two individuals. That was the argument. I don't know if you want to respond to that, because I thought that was, if they're, if they're not being singled out with a threat, that's an interesting take, is it not? Well, that's the whole point of free speech. It's the right mm-hmm. to stand out in front of a, a congressman's you know, office. And when he comes out and say, Congressman, whoever, or President Biden or whatever, we disagree with you and point your finger. That's the whole point of the, the people who gave us the First Amendment uh, believed in the, uh, that our rights came from God and that we had the right to speak. God gave us the right to speak out, to protest, to do all those things. They're encased in our First Amendment, folks. And when I talk to people today, many people don't even know what's in the First Amendment. I'm telling people across the board, study the First Amendment. That's the key to our freedom, the right to speak up, to challenge people. And by trying to take us off of social media now is the worst threat because that's where people congregate now on social media. And then more and more and so they're going to do that. So this is a, a case that, you know, if, if you can't post a criticism of social media and, pull, and, and quote Jesus Christ out of Matthew, then where are we at? What, what Are we going into a deep hole somewhere? It doesn't make any sense. So that's why when I saw the case and, and this, he came here, came to me for help, I said, hey, wait a second. And I've helped many street preachers across America. Listen, Jesus Christ was a street preacher generally. He got into trouble because he was willing to stand up and speak truth to power. And this is what we need, people like this. And we need to make sure they can do it. Again, he wasn't threatening anybody particular. He was just citing Bible verses. And if we can't do that, freedom is lost in America. You know, some of the events that led up to this, you know, he, he protested, and correct me if I'm wrong, a church and an LGBTQ organization. And these two women, there was a photo that I have read it was a public photo Yes. That was that was shared that he shared along with these verses. What was the purpose of the protesting, and how did this get in front of police? Because that's the question people have. Well, how did it go from social media posts, and again, correct any part of that that you feel is incorrect, to the police being involved in this? Oh, the people that were felt threatened by the Bible verses, uh, you know, to turn him into the police and objected at that point. They were threatened. They were afraid, and. Uh, Again, I say uh, more and more people are afraid of free speech today, by the way. Kids are being taught in school they can't say the word God. They can't study the Declaration of Independence because the Declaration of Independence says if you don't like the government, we can remove it. They don't want any of that today. And that's why it's so darn important. But, yeah, they objected. Listen, you can get turned into anybody today. They have welfare checks across America. If someone hears you talking on your front porch, they can go, Oh, I think that guy is crazy. Police are showing up and arresting people. 
So this is, we're at a real key point in this country where if we don't start protecting our rights, we're going to lose them. We don't have much time, folks, because, like I say, the generation I see coming out of schools today don't have any clue about what their rights are. If this stands, if this um, order stands and he is restricted, what are the long-term ramifications in your view for other cases and for speech more broadly? Well, freedom of religion, you know, number one, uh, you're going to see some ministers. If this case stands, ministers are going to be targeted for, for speaking out about things they see in society and they, they consider sinful. Broadly, free speech is waning today. It's going away, folks. I see it more and more with political correctness movement and stuff like that. And uh, the key is here, like I said, the people who wrote our First Amendment, who fought for it, wanted us uh, to have values. They believed in Judeo-Christian values. And that's where our free speech come from. God gave us the right to speak. They call the rights inalienable, inalienable rights. And I, and I ask people, what does that mean? Most of them look at me and go, I don't know. It means you can't be ta- they can't be taken away. They're always there. Express yourself. And that's how you keep things free, folks. And you, you, we want people to think critically. This is T2. People are not always correct in what they believe. So that I should be challenged. You should be challenged. So we'll wake up, and, and that's how you get politicians to listen, is get out there and speak. Some of the greatest men of history were people who got out there on the streets and said, I object. And I'm willing to go to jail for it. And this guy here, Penkowski, Rich Penkowski, is willing to do that. And I think it's really important, this case here. Like I said, religious freedom and and speech generally could be lost in a case like this. So last question, what happens next legally? You're appealing it. So what what are the next steps there? Well, we're waiting for the Oklahoma Supreme Court. We appeal to the Oklahoma Supreme Court to see what they will do in this particular case if they decide they don't want to back us up. We'll it'll be appealed further up. We'll see how far it goes, folks. But uh, we're willing to fight all the way at the Rutherford Institute. All right, Billy, thanks so much for that interview, that conversation there. Obviously, important story is when we see our rights as Christians, are we going to be allowed to say the things that we believe in the near future? We want to make sure that we can. And so it's important to uh, hear stories like this, to see the outcomes and uh, pray that People are able to continue to have the right to say the things they believe. All right, that's going to leave us with time on the podcast today for one last thing. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7, 17. And before I read the verse, I want to say, I, I think this verse stuck out to me because so often there, there are all these different things vying for our attention, right? And competing for, for our affection. Uh, but God has something for each of us. Uh, he has a place for each of us and a time for each of us. Uh, we really just need to put our nose to the grindstone and, and follow God's will for our lives. So the passage says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. Just a good reminder to stay mm-hmm. true to, to what God has for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of, this is a constant reminder for me is not putting yourself at the center of the bigger story. Right? Yeah. Like God cares about you. He cares, but he, but he has works prepared for you ahead of time. He's called you to a purpose, um, as this verse indicates as well. And that's what we should be content in. All right. Whatever comes my way, whatever situation I'm in, how is God going to use me in this situation? How can I point him to that? It's not about me, 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 and what can I do? All right, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We will be back here tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.